Thanks, Tanya. Thanks for joining uh, Money Chat by Danu, Joel, and Rats. Um, how's your day been today? Thanks for having me, Rats. Yes, it's been busy. I've been uh, zipping around, having a look at and reviewing properties for clients, but uh, it's been a pretty fruitful day so far, and here I am. <laughs> and it's been a good start to the year uh, for um, buyers advocates in the property market, in the property space? Um. Yes, I probably have a different view of uh, how the market rolls from my own point of view. So when I was very young, um, I think 23, I heard uh, a speaker in Sydney and he said something that stuck with me and that is the only market is the market in your mind. So really regardless of what's happening in the market, I'm always flat out. So um so the, the year has opened really well for me, as it does most years. Fantastic. And and for those who don't know what a bias advocate, can you please explain what a bias advocate do? Sure. Look, <clears throat> buyer advocacy is quite prolific in, in America. Um, it's not as prolific here. And often I'll field calls from people, oh, tell me what does a buyer advocate actually do? So it's a good question. I think... In no particular order, we protect people's interests, so we protect them from folly. Uh, we are instrumental in the negotiation, and everyone seems to come to us with that on their brief of what they want, negotiation. But it's not really until we get into the thick of the negotiation that it seems to go to the top of their list because a great deal of people have an aha moment and they realise how much they don't know. Uh, because it is tailor-made to this particular space that I operate in. Um, <clears throat> the other uh, reason people come to us is for off-markets. So we currently purchase around 30 to 35% off-market. So uh, the lay person is not exposed to that, and that's done through deep relationships that I've forged over th three decades. So I've been, I've been in this business quite a long time. Um, and without taking up too much time, there's four different types of off-market. We can perhaps cover that in a, a, a different um, uh, podcast. Um, privacy is another big factor, and privacy applies to everybody and how that comes into play. As CRMs with agents have developed over the last 10 years, it's evident that um, buyers attract and agents know what they've bid on and what their limit is. So they are disadvantaged when they come to sit at the negotiation table and they may not even realise it. So we protect their identity in that regard. Um, we provide valuable intel that pertains to their particular uh, situation. And then we also follow our brief, which is neutral advice and that sounding board um uh, element to to what we do. Oh, fantastic. Can you also talk through the off-market um, component of um, the advocacy? Because a lot of the lis listeners will be keen on learning sure. a bit more about that component, please, Tanya. Sure. So, look, there's four types of off-markets. I'm happy to go through that now. There's the off-market that we're getting our client into before the marketing actually starts. And we use that space for due diligence. I've bought many properties like that so that when it actually does hit the market, we've already done um, a great deal of homework and we can confidently move forward. So 
that's one type of off-market and it requires a different kind of negotiation. The second type is where there is no marketing money at all. And generally, we are the only ones at the negotiation table. So I would apply a different uh, method of negotiation to that particular scenario. The third is with deep relationships, whereby uh, the agent will uh, perhaps speak to somebody that they've appraised their house in the last six to 12 months, and they can get a buyer through. And that takes deep uh deep trust because they can come to a degree because they may not have a secured listing. So that's important that uh, you respect their position. And the fourth type is where we go directly. And when I say directly, uh, we may look at a property, um, look, look up when it was sold last and approach that owner, uh, possibly through the agent that transacted four years ago, for example, because that would be a warm call rather than a cold call from us. And we have purchased that way before. So there's there's four types. Fantastic. And you're saying around about 30 to 40% of the transactions done by buyers advocates are off market. Is that, is that correct? I don't know. It's not public information what everyone else does. Yes. We can only track our own figures and that's yes. that's where we, uh, where we sit. Oh, fantastic. Um, Tonya, what, what's your view on the property market for the next 12 months? I know given, you know, there's a lot lots happening in the in the market. Um, we had a rate pause um, um, two days ago, um, but the rate's been increasing for the last 10 months. Um, we also have seen, um, you know, Porter Davis go under and there's smaller builders going under as well. How is that impacting the property market? That's a big question, Brad. Yes. Um, there's a lot of moving parts. Yes. Um. There's the economic moving parts. There's many and varied. There's geopolitical uh, aspect to, to that question. Um, uh, let, I always start with the here and now and uh, real grassroots level, which is currently right now there is low supply, compounded by Easter. And I think it was a little bit of a wait and see at the beginning of this year, which was expected. So some vendors were sitting on their hands, in fact, a lot. Um, and we found that the people that were on market were people that needed to go to market. Perhaps they um, were realising an asset because there was a, a, a death in the family or perhaps they had purchased and they needed to sell, etc. So the stock levels were quite tight. And so uh, we were um, using all our resources, as we always do, um, to match um, properties with our clients. Um, what that did was it propped the values up. It pushed, and even in the last few weeks, we've seen multiple people um, at multiple bidders at auction and going over uh, the reserve clearance rates um, have have been quite confident of late. Um, but important to keep in mind that there is always a rush, especially for family homes, to complete a campaign prior to Easter, which was last weekend. You might have seen some twilight auctions slip in as well. Yes. To try and conclude those um, sales before Easter. Now we have Easter and we have school holidays. So if you have a family home, I would probably guess you're going to start that campaign after Easter. 
So people will always need to sell, and we've had this period of wait and see, um, and I would like to think that there will be more coming on in about two weeks, which could take a little bit of heat out. That's what I'd like to think. Um, so that's kind of the here and now. Long-term, it's it's really anyone's guess. There's, it, it's how a few of the cards will fall in terms of geopolitical, in terms of economic. We've had a pause in rates. Look, it's been said that there's probably a couple more rises to come. I, that That's not um, news to anybody. I think we've seen a, a drop in values last year, but that was that adjustment period to those rate changes. There is talk about um, a significant number of um, homeowners coming off uh, fixed um, and will be now facing a significantly higher repayment. Um, that I don't think you're going to see a cliff. I think people wait for this cliff. But I think that there will be a trickle and they'll be here and there yes. um, because what you will find is banks will try and work with people. Um, so it won't they won't all be coming on at that same time. I think they'll be absorbed in that process. Uh, in terms of, of right now, um, if more comes on, I think that there will be a little bit more of an easing. Um, spring, again, I would like to think that more will come on in spring. Traditionally, my opinion is um, uh, prices come back a little bit more in spring just because of that economic equation of supply and demand. Um, it's been said that there will be an uptick towards the end of the year and into next year, but I think we'll have to wait and see. No, definitely. Um, and also the fact that there is a there is a massive shortage of houses uh, being built in Australia, given more builders are going under. You reckon that's going to put a bit of stress in the property market? Do you see that um, playing into the market? Yes. And there was actually an article in, I think it was the, the Fin Review uh, Wednesday, uh, might have been last week um, or maybe more recent than that, and it addressed actually that the shortage. So when we look at if we apply economics of supply and demand, when there's a shortage, yes. uh, prices go up. Um, the, the I think the article was more focused on the rental market, but that that goes hand in hand with the sale market, yes. where there's a shortage. Um, there's a bit of a rental crisis going on at the moment, and I don't think I think that's probably going to exacerbate that particular scenario. But then we look at it from an investor point of view and then that affects yield, so that can look more attractive. Um, and then, again, that can um, that can be present opportunities for investors to come back in. Have you seen a rental yield uh, um, going up in the last, say, last 12 months uh, since the rate increase in interest rate? Uh, look, it depends on what areas you're looking yes. in. I don't think that there's any one factor. There's a number of factors that influence that, as you would expect. Um, there's uh, proximity, amenities, um, uh, developments. Um, so so it, it ties in with a number of factors. I, I wouldn't pinpoint any one particular area. I think 
one needs to uh, look at the merits of that particular location. Yes. Um, and another question I want to ask is we have close to a million people entering the country in the eight, next 18 months. Correct. 650 um, this year, 400 next year. Exactly. And we got, we're, having, we're going to get around about 50,000 students entering the country in the next three months. Um, yes. Are you working with any international buyers at the moment, uh, Tanya? And do, do you see that number increase in your space? I am in. Uh, I am looking after a number of inter. My business is geared to service that particular sector with our communication package, and we are seeing an increase in overseas purchases. Okay. Um, but more so in the higher, um, higher price bracket than so the lower price bracket. Percent. The five million plus. Okay. Okay. And a lot of, and they tend to have a lot of cash. Uh, you know. Uh, when they when they're coming in to buy uh, buy the property as well, or um... well, look, um, I don't, uh, I respect people's um, yes uh, personal situation. So for me, it's a need to know, uh, and I I certainly respect that with my clients. So I I don't um I don't pry too much into where that money yes. is coming from, but one would assume uh, that there's a component of family money that okay. is is present. But do you see that will have a flow-on effect into the property market? So, you know, if, if the 5 million properties are going up in value because you, you're starting to see a lot more international players coming in, that's going to put a lot of stress on the, you know, two, three, four million dollar pro properties as well. Do you see that kind of uh, playing out in the next, say, 12 months? Yes. Um, look, the higher end of the market seems to be somewhat protected. Um, where we're looking, where it can uh, be affected is in the two uh, sub five, um, two to three. Um, a very popular range at the moment is that two to three market. Um, so that's where we really look for our off-market opportunities to open that up for our clients. And when you're working with clients, what percentage of the clients are first homeowners and what percentage of the clients that you're working with are investors at the moment, Tonya? Yeah, great question, Rads. Um, we are a little bit different. We, we, I'm going to give you a very unusual answer to this, which will make this, this podcast interesting. I turned 50 in January, believe it or not. <laughs> and in my 20s, Yes. You know, it was all about, you know, winning the awards and being number one. And unfortunately, that's underpinned by turnover, which does not benefit the client. So when I established this firm, I work extremely hard and so do my staff. So we take our work home with us. So it's really important that we enjoy our work. So at the crux of that are kind and like-minded people. It is irrelevant to us what people's budget is. So it might be a first home by a nurse and we get joy out of making sure that he or she is protected and they buy the right property. And we get the same joy over negotiating a $10 million plus property, for example, in Turak. Nice. Um, we can't take on conflicting briefs. So we don't take on two clients that are looking for the same thing in Turak. And so what we do is we have a variety of clients, um, but we always look for that connection with clients. Fantastic. It's a bit, it's, it's very anti-business establishment, but that's how we run. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and what is the biggest challenge uh, faced by property um, buyers at the moment? What's one, one thing that... Oh, it has to be stock. 
Okay. It has to be stock at the moment. Yeah. Um, also, where I, yeah, I think um, also it's it's protecting buyers from buying the wrong thing. So that might not be an awareness that they have when they come to us, but it soon becomes that. Um, so it's really that don't know what you don't know kind of thing. And when we start having a discussion, um, it, we always have this really um, in-depth, once we start working with someone, we have an in-depth brief development meeting. It's kind of like what we call in the office our compass meeting to make sure that we all end up in the same spot and our clients are thrilled at the end. Um, and it's through that discovery that we often find they've, they might have seen something that they like, but the negotiation was flawed or the due diligence was flawed or they didn't have the ability to get up and running very quickly. So um, there's varied challenges depending on the client. So I, I think due diligence, negotiation, the obvious one is stock though. Okay, okay. Um, Antonio, what one advice you would give someone who's looking to buy their first home? Oh, if I could give them a handbook. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're, looking to, they're looking to enter the property market and one thing. Okay, yeah, okay. I've got, I've got one. I've got one. There's a lot, but I'll just give you one. Okay. Um, look, go deep and detailed on your brief. Now, it's my opinion that your brief, this is where I come in in terms of guiding people. Um, but often I'll see people, they'll go shopping and they'll be distracted by um, something shiny and new. It's kind of like when I go clothes shopping. I get someone else to do it for me because I'm rubbish at it, right? I outsource that. <laughs> Courtney Blood does that for me. She does Monday projects and I outsource to her and she dresses me, right? Uh, because I go out and go, oh, that looks good. I'll buy that. Oh, that looks good. And then nothing goes together. So it's the same when you look for a house. And I had a comment from a client the other day and I, I felt really proud of them. They said, you know, we saw blah, blah, but we went, we took your advice and we went back to the brief and we let the brief answer the question and it didn't marry in with our brief, so we let it go. So that's great. That's fantastic. Now, all that's great advice, but your brief has to be right to start with. And that's where I can come in and help people. Fantastic. Sonia, thanks for joining the Money Chat. Really appreciate for your time. And we hope to uh, do another podcast with you in the next uh, few months. Thanks for having me, Rads. Have a great Easter. Thank you. Okay, bye.